Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with Bela Sebro, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. One of our favorite topics on the definitive rap is pro-Israel advocacy. Our past guests have been people like David Bragg from the Maccabee Task Force, whose organization is instrumental in bringing progressive students to Israel to see the truth for themselves. We've had Dr. Richard Kravitz, an expert on college anti-Semitism. But today, we have our first younger guest, who really works in the trenches to educate the truths about Israel and combat the lies fed by college leftists and Palestinianists. In a few moments, Bela will give Lauren Isaacs a proper introduction. What first caught my eye when I saw Lauren on social media was that she came across as a fearless and tireless leader with a following of over 5,000 people. I knew she was a star in the cause of pro-Israel advocacy. During our interview, I will have many questions about her methods, as well as impart some wisdom from my own experiences from my college days many years ago. Bela? Thank you, Alan. There is an old phrase, the youth are, 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 are the future. The youth are the future. In essence, this phrase carries the promise that it is the young people who will be the ones in command of the future. It is young people who look at the world and see what kind of adjustments are needed to give hope for a better world tomorrow. And with regard to our topic today, we will be discussing building the next generation of defiantly Zionist leaders. On that subject, we will explore and get to know a strong organization called Cherut World and Cherut Canada. The word Cherut in Hebrew means freedom or liberty, and we will most certainly delve into that today. So with us today is a remarkable young lady, Lauren Isaacs. Lauren is the National Director of Cherut Canada and the Coordinator for World Cherut in Israel. She has worked in Israel advocacy field for many years and is a public Zionist activist and speaker. Lauren made Aliyah at the age of 24 and currently lives in Jerusalem. She continues to split her time between Israel and Canada. World Cherut and Cherut Canada are unapologetically Zionistic organizations that educates about the Jewish people's sovereign rights to the land of Israel in its entirety. Lauren empowers young activists, debunks harmful lies about Israel, proves the anti-Semitic agenda of the BDS movement, and spreads an unapologetic Zionist message. If she's not teaching a class about Israeli history or interviewing people about the Arab-Israeli conflict, she is at an anti-Semitic counter-protest waving an Israeli flag, flag proudly or running Zionist campus programs at universities. Lauren, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. 
I wasn't kidding <laughs> when I said you are a remarkable young woman. Can you educate us about Khairut World and Khairut Canada? How were the, these organizations founded? How did you, at such a young age, become a national director? What is the mission um, of these organizations? Lauren, I, I know I'm throwing a bunch of questions at you, but we want to know everything. Thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much, Bela and Alan. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here with you guys. Um, so yeah, uh, Herut is very important, near and dear to my heart. Obviously, we, as you said, we are unapologetic Zionists, which I think is so important nowadays, especially in this climate of anti-Semitism and Israel hate on university campuses. Uh, so basically, what we do is we educate. We educate on university campuses. We educate in high schools and different communities around the world. We give speeches and seminars and workshops, and we bring in guest speakers, and we generally educate, hopefully, the next generation, also this generation and the past generation, about what's going on in Israel, what's going on with the Jewish people, and why Zionism is so important, more important now than ever before. Um, what my personal experience, I, I was in the Israel advocacy field uh, before I came to Herut, and uh, they found me, actually, thank God. And I was a university student at York University in Toronto at the time. Uh, of course, York University, one of the most anti-Semitic universities in North America, arguably. And um, so Herut found me and, and said they want to revitalize the Canadian movement. Absolutely. This was an opportunity of a lifetime and so important. And I said, yes. And, and the rest is history. You know, we have been in schools and in universities, on college campuses, in different cities around the world, in America, in Canada, in Israel, in England, all over the place. And we're really, uh, I think, doing some fantastic work, especially with, with the next generation. What we focus on a lot, my specialty is debunking the lies surrounding BDS, the Arab-Israeli history in general, the concept of Zionism, where our enemies have stolen the word and made it dirty for some reason. We have to take that back. So that's very important to us. And generally debating with people who, unfortunately, often are transparently anti-Semitic. But thank God it's, it's been quite a journey and we are making an impact. There's a movement afoot of, of great new Zionist leaders coming up, young people who are interested in this, who want to know the history, who want to know the facts, and who want to know how to be able to debate and counter debate on university campuses. And, and that's why we're here. Um, yeah. Let me ask you a question, Lauren, and there's so much I want to talk to you about because you remind me of me when I went to Wayne State University in Detroit. Um, Detroit, uh, as many people know, uh, has the largest Palestinian population outside the Middle East. I went to school. I was a pre-dental major. And within a month, I found myself as the leading voice for Israel because of the heavy Palestinian population. Um, I want to ask you about the different tactics that you use, because there are different facets, and you mentioned them. There is knowing the facts to how to debate. But very often, it's not an issue about debating, because the other side is not trying to win an argument. They're trying to defeat you with lies. So sometimes, so it's good that our side has to know what the truth is, so they know how to argue. At the same time, you have to know how to punch back. And I'm just wondering... Um, what have you like? What have you done? What is your education process involve? Uh, the different tactics that you teach them. 
Yeah, that's a great question and a, and a great point you're making, actually, about being uh, more active as opposed to more passive, not to say being aggressive or, or, God forbid, violent in any way. But being active is so important because uh, we, we we don't like to use the word Hasbara, for example, because Hasbara means uh, explanation, literally in Hebrew, Hasbir, to explain. We don't feel we need to explain ourselves. You shouldn't be, have to explain yourself for living, for surviving, for refusing to die in a terrorist attack, for refusing to give up your ancient land that you own in every single way legally. So we don't feel that we have to have anything to explain for ourselves. What we are trying to do is empower Jews and Zionists to be proud of their identities, to know the facts, and yes, to be able to debate. So as you say, <laughs> sometimes you're, you're not debating, first of all, the other side often won't sit down and debate with us in a civil forum. They just won't. How many times have I put out calls to say, I will have a conversation, I'll have a discussion, a debate, a panel, anything, publicly, in any way that's moderated by anyone with these people who hate us? Absolutely not. They will not engage with me. The diehards on the other side absolutely say we do not speak to Zionists. End of of story. Yeah. Thank you. Lauren, um, how have other organizations, specifically youth type of organizations, responded to your work? Do you find that there is an allegiance or have you confronted any defiance? It's been split. I'll be honest. It's been split. It depends what campus we're on, number one, what community we're in and what country we're in. But from my experience coming from Canada, when we were in Toronto, it was definitely split. There were some organizations who were phenomenal. They were amazing supporters, real organizations who were proud of their Jewish identity, who were proud to wave the Israeli flag alongside us. And all the bureaucratic nonsense didn't matter because we all knew we were moving towards the same goal. And then there are other certain organizations, certain Jewish organizations who don't want to be involved with us because they think that we are inflammatory or we are, you know, gaslighting people or we are inappropriate or hostile or whatever, you know, because we're not politically correct, because as we said, we're not passive, we're not bending to the will of what's popular in society. Sometimes you have to stand up and go against the grain and and do something very unpopular, like wave an Israeli flag in a situation when it's very uncomfortable. And these other organizations want nothing to do with us then. Right. So Lauren, something else I want to share with you, and this is my own experience. Um, you know, today there is different types of activism. You know, back in my day, we would have information booths and that was good for one form. But we also had in the student center building, student showcases, which gave you like one week of having like a storefront to put your information out there. What we would do was we would post all kinds of quotes from Arab leaders, um, either showing how Arabs killed Palestinians. Um, we, we showed, uh, we had quotes. There's a book called From Time Immemorial by Joan Peters that is chock full of quotes, including from uh, going back to the early days when there were, uh, and I don't remember the names, but you can look it up. Uh, there was uh, Syrian leaders who said that Palestine is nothing but southern Syria. So you have quotes from Arabs saying that the Palestinian cause was created to be at war with Israel. There was never a Palestinian state. And when you have Arab leaders saying that, and you post that in public, there's no one for you to debate. You don't have to debate anybody. You just put it out there. We had quotes. We had pictures of Palestinians killing Lebanese Christians. And we saw on campus, we had Arabs fighting with Arabs because of what we created there. So sometimes, you know, you have different goals. Yes, you want to educate a certain segment, but you also want to uh, pit the other side up against each other. There's nothing wrong with showing the world what the Arabs think of themselves, what they think of each other, and what the true Palestinian goals are. 
A hundred percent. I agree with you. And, and in all my lectures, when we discuss the geopolitical climate or the current state of affairs in Gaza and in Judea and Samaria, what people erroneously call the West Bank, we a hundred percent. I always start by putting up the quotes from Mahmoud Abbas himself, you know, the president of the Palestinian Authority, who's serving his 17th year of a four year term now. Uh, he is a, you know, rampant Holocaust denier. He has stated that in a future Palestinian state, not a single Jew, soldier or civilian will step foot on their lands. And I always put that quote up to begin with, not to mention, I mean, uh, Yahya Sinwar and Ismail Khania, the, the leaders of uh, Hamas, they full on just say we will tear the hearts and livers out of the Jews and eat them. I mean, these are people, these are the leaders right across. These are not 50 kilometers from where I am. And, and these are the leaders. These are the people that, that students on university campuses are championing right there. I agree with you. We put up their statements and, and the shock factor is generally very effective. Lauren, how many members have you recruited? Me personally? Yeah. Uh, about 300. Wow. And how many members would you say are in the organizations? Uh, it, well, we are in uh, 11 countries uh, around the world. Thank wow. God. Khairud is doing well. And, and we're in more countries that I can't actually discuss because of security reasons. They can't okay. publicly identify that they're pro-Israel in, in certain territories. But right. uh, we're in a lot of places around the world. Uh, total members, I, I don't know. I would have to get you that number. That's, that's a difficult one. But thousands, thank God. That's we are growing. We're definitely a grassroots movement. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're not the biggest and we're not the flashiest. But we do believe in spreading a, a true positive message about unapologetic Zionism and the inalienable connection between Judaism and Zionism and the fact that we own the land and we're not sorry about it and that we're not going to uh, lie down and be killed by our enemies. Right. So we think we're doing a, a pretty good job. <laughs> As you said, uh, this is an unapologetic organization, organizations. Uh, Lauren, you have a, a passionate energy uh, that I have no doubt you have the ability to persuade someone from the left to come on over to your side. Have you ever encountered uh, a young person from the left and persuaded them over to the right? (laughs) Well, thank God we do encounter a a lot of, uh, a lot of lefty Jews mostly, but other people on the left as well. And uh, you know, it's very difficult. It's very difficult because there is a lot of brainwashing on the left. We know that politically what's going on in the, what's going on in the media right now. There's just brainwashing, not based in fact, not based in logic, just brainwashing. Sometimes it's completely irrational, but yes, uh, I have on occasion, I get messages in my inbox that say, you know, I never, I heard a speech you gave. I never looked at it this way. Thank you for allowing me to look at it this way. It's actually something I'm going to research more. This is actually something I like the way you said. And that just, oh, that warms my heart like you wouldn't believe. If we can get through to people who are completely on the other side of the spectrum, that's the point, right? I I have no doubt. With that energy, I had absolutely no (laughs) doubt that you're successful in persuading people. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank God. It's going, it's going well. Have you ever brought in Arab speakers uh, to your events? Because we used to bring in, I forgot his name, but there was a gentleman who um, was a member of the Druze community, and he was a member of the Knesset. And when he would come and speak, uh, it drove the Arabs nuts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We have uh, several Arab friends and and allies. Of course, we have Arab uh, members of the IDF that we bring in to speak. Uh, And that really, that really 
bothers people that grinds their gears because not only are they IDF uh, soldiers, but right. they're Arabs, no less. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We bring them in all the time. Listen, they're close allies. It's a very different what's actually going on here in Israel versus the picture being painted in North America on university and college campuses. This evil picture being painted that that Jews are slaughtering Arabs in the streets and and Arabs are slaughtering Jews. While one is more accurate than the other, of course, Um there is uh, a lot of work. I mean, there are tons of Arabs in the, in the IDF. Thank God. They're, they're really, uh, it's great. So we try and use that on university campuses. And it, and it does help that it really sticks with people. It really zings them that they see Arabs on our side. What pro-Israel groups um, do you coordinate with? Because, again, you can only be in so many places at the same time, and you don't have the type of funding that uh, Students for Justice in Palestine has. Um, who do you coordinate with? If you can tell us. Sure. There are great organizations. I mean, in Toronto, there is uh, the Maimonides Club organization. It's more of a Jewish, not so much a Zionist organization, but implicitly because they're a Jewish organization, they are Zionistic and they're great supporters. We also work with uh, Stand Strong, which is uh, an organization that teaches, you know, Krav Maga and self-defense to Jewish communities. Um, We are partners. Herut is a a founding partner in the End Jew Hatred Movement. Now the the new organize uh, the new organization that has just come into being and Jew hatred. Uh, there there are a lot of organizations that we collaborate with. Also, uh, the reservists on duty is an amazing organization, and they're the ones we brought Israeli soldiers, former Israeli soldiers, to York University last year uh, to speak, and they were through the reservists on duty organization. There are plenty of collaborating, uh, very uh, loyal organizations that we love and that they're doing amazing work. Uh- so you, you go on, you go to the college campuses and, and you do the outreach and you, you speak to the youth. Um, do, how much of social media do you use to um, enlist people in your worthwhile work? Yeah, so social, me- social media, you know, we live in an amazing time where social media has such a reach, especially now, considering everything is online, literally everything is online, and, and we've had to adapt a little bit. Uh, I do miss going to the universities and the high schools and actually speaking face-to-face with the students. Unfortunately, in the pandemic, that has slowed down, so we've had right. to transfer it all online. Uh, however, it's, it's phenomenal, you know, uh, we use different pages, events, captions, hashtags, videos, all these things online, all the tools that are at our disposal, it is very helpful. And it actually gets to different audiences that we wouldn't necessarily be able to reach in person. I mean, when you make a video and 25,000 people view it, that's a lot more than you're going to get in one sitting when you go give a speech in a community. So it's actually very helpful. Yes. You know, I, I always wonder when I, I don't meet too many young people such as yourself, you are a powerhouse. How did it happen that you you became that way? Where where did it originate from? Was it were you <laughs> brought up in that type of a home, or was this this just something that you decided on your own? Thank God, uh, I was brought up in a great home. I, I did go to Jewish day school, although we were secular and not really involved with any of this. I didn't know much about Israel at all. I mean, I took an Arab-Israeli history course in high school, but that was my only experience ever with uh, any form of Zionism. My uh, passion in, it ignited when I went to Israel for the first time. I went to Israel when I was 20 years old for the first time, and feet on the ground changed my life. Honestly, I went there to party. I went there on on an almost free trip, you know, to ride the camels and to see the the good-looking Israeli boys. And that was it. 
But when my feet touched the ground, I fell in love with the country. I felt the connection, the Jewish connection, the historical connection. I extended my trip. I stayed in Israel. I studied at a seminary. And when I came back to Canada, I decided I need to make Israel part of my life. And mm-hmm. I resolved to visit Israel every year. And, and I joined Israel advocacy organizations in school and on campus. Right. And uh, that was the, the beginning of the end. I was, I was a born-again Zionist. <laughs> you probably didn't realize. Did you realize that it was going to grow to the extent, I mean, it, it, being that you're worldwide in the 11th uh, country, no, I, that's I, tremendous. I, I, I never knew, you know, you, you stand and you wave an Israeli flag on campus because you feel the connection and you don't realize the impact it's going to make, the reaches it's going to have and, and where your future is going to go from that. But right. I'm very happy. I, I was very blessed to be able to come to Israel for the first time when I was 20 because it really ignited. There was a little spark and then it grew into a roaring flame. Wow. Lauren, you mentioned in your work that you work both in Israel and uh, in North America. Uh, leftists are not the same everywhere. An Israeli leftist can say, I live here, I served. Uh, American Jewish leftist who is disconnected is a different type of leftist that can really attack Israel in a different way. Um, how have you found um, your, I guess, way of distinguishing between both groups? Which do you find more dogged and determined and which one is more persuadable? Again, the Israeli leftist says, I live here. The American leftist, you can say, well, why don't you come and visit Israel and you might have a change of heart. Definitely. That's a good point. They are different, uh, both in their vehemence on the topic and on the size of the, the groups of people that, are, that you're fighting against. The Israeli leftist community is definitely the minority. Thank God, they're still the minority. As you say, I think living here, growing up here, serving here, and it's much harder to shut your eyes and turn a blind eye to the actual realities on the ground. Whereas uh, Jews in in the diaspora in North America who've maybe come here on a trip, maybe haven't, maybe heard about it, maybe haven't, they can just make things up in their head willy-nilly, and it's much easier to concoct a story because this country, you know, 12 hours flight away, however many thousand miles away, uh, we, we know, we can talk about what's going on. The Israelis here, it's much, it's much more difficult. They've served in the army. If they've been shot at, if they've had a Molotov cocktail thrown at them, if they've been in an area where they needed to run to a bomb shelter, it's much more difficult to turn away from that reality. Of course, there is a leftist segment here, a minority, that does, you know, aggravate the general society, I would say, because general society does not think this country should be destroyed from the inside out. Although there is a segment of society that does want that. Of course, I think that's in every country. You'll find that. But I do agree in North America, I think it's more insidious and disingenuous as well. It's more ignorant as well. They don't know. They don't actually know what's going on. They just make it up. And therefore, it's more pervasive and, and a more dangerous rhetoric. And people more easily believe it because they can believe if, if someone's yelling at them that Israelis are murdering this and this and they've never been here in Israel, it's much easier to believe. Right. Well, uh, in in your personal life, I mean, the fact that you're on social media um, and your picture is everywhere and people see you, they must recognize you. So in your personal life, uh, do you ever confront people who recognize you and um, they start spewing language um, of hatred or defiance of any kind? 
Yes, well, unfortunately, with the red hair and, and the glasses, I'm kind of hard to disguise. So when I, when I walk into York University in Toronto, um, a lot of the students on campus recognize me and do not like me <laughs> because it's a very anti-Semitic campus and they know, uh, you know, kind of the, the Zionism work that we do there. So uh, at some events, actually mostly in North America and in Canada that, that I hold, I do need to bring security for myself because there is a, an aspect of it's unsafe uh, in certain environments. In Israel, there's more support, actually. Uh, when, I, when I get recognized or when people say, you're Lauren Isaacs, it's mostly in a positive uh, way. It's mostly, you know, good work. In North America, it's uh, divided. We do get a lot of hate, and, and sometimes it's dangerous, especially if I'm advertising that I'm going to be running an event. Uh, so, uh, many people show up to disrupt, you know, to heckle us. So uh, really? it's, it's sometimes scary, but mostly there's a lot of positive support. Uh, thank God there are a lot of people that were galvanizing. You know, what, what, it just yeah. takes one person sometimes to stand up and say, you don't have to be afraid of this anymore. Mm -hmm. And people say, okay, that, that's great. So hopefully we're getting more and more people to be able to stand up. But yes, yeah, sometimes it's, it's negative response, sometimes positive. Right. What's been your experience as far as the college administration goes? Because whatever their feelings are, they can't yell at you the way the students can. Um, has have the administrators been polite, respectful, dismissive, supportive, turn the other cheek? How have they dealt? How have they, uh, you know, um, met with you? Uh, I would say that uh, for the most part, the professors themselves have uh, been, you know, it's been inconsequential to them in that they've kind of ignored my presence on, on the campuses that I've been on. Of course, they do continue to spew their rhetoric. I've been in many a, a classroom with professors who just spread this violent anti-Israel rhetoric. They freely throw around the words occupation and colonization and, and stolen land. And in class, you know, you say, excuse me, not correct. And they kind of just wave you off. Uh, the administrators, it depends on what university you're talking about specifically at York University, my Israel club was banned at one point. We were banned. We were shut down. And that's just... On you what know, basis? On the basis that they needed to investigate if there was any incitement. Not that we were inciting anyone. They needed to investigate if there was incitement, meaning if we hurt anyone's feelings. And because they're investigating if we hurt anyone's feelings, they needed to quiet us down in the interim. So how long? For how long we, were you we, shut down? Uh, a couple weeks, a couple uh -huh. weeks. Of course, we got lawyers involved because right. it was unacceptable. We did nothing. Um, but that is kind of more a passive aggressive way that the administration deals with you if you're a Jewish or a Zionist club nowadays. Right. And, and that's right. that's usual. Look, I read online about York and McGill. I know in America, you know, we have Columbia, we have uh, UCLA um, and there are some campuses which are much more hostile than others. From yeah, Canada, Berkeley, Berkeley yeah, is well, Berkeley is the worst, but Berkeley is just, it's an America hating campus. Um, I mean, I know you, that, you know, who Ami Horowitz is. Yeah. So yeah, he did, he wants to do an experiment. He, he was on Berkeley waving um, an ISIS flag and he got a lot of, you know, attaboys and thumbs up from a lot of people. And then he waved an Israeli flag and he got, you know, what you'd expect from leftists. Um, but yeah, but Berkeley is more, I think, of an outlier. But here, when you have the New York University, UCLA, which should be more mainstream universities, um, again, it, it's not without its 
is issues. I went to Wayne State University. I know that University of Michigan also had a very significant Palestinian population. Um, one of the biggest fears for me is that you have, I don't know how Palestinians all get jobs as professors. Do they all go to school to become professors? Are they being recruited? Are they actually experts in their field? Or are they just applying for a job with no real expertise and just getting hired? To be honest, in my personal opinion, I think that because of the we're living in a progressive, postmodernist, politically correct intersectionality, uh, you know, um, world nowadays, that it's quotas and it's amazing. You don't just want a regular America loving white professor at your school. God forbid that that should be at your school anymore. You got to hire someone who brings the the Palestinian narrative or someone who brings the the anti-white person slavery narrative or someone who brings the LGBTQ narrative or other things because of the intersectionality that we're living in, it has to be. So I think, (laughs) except for Jews, of course, on the intersectional uh, poll, we are at the bottom. So you don't see many, you know, pro-Israel, Israeli professors in the diaspora, but you do see a lot of Arab or or Palestinian professors. Let me ask you a question. And I know this was on... um one of your videos, tell us about the woman that owned a restaurant or a cafeteria in Toronto where she had, I think she had a sign free Gaza um, and you went and you confronted her. Give us the whole background about that if you could. Sure. I'll give you quickly. There's a, an anti-Israel, anti-Jewish restaurant in Toronto and it actually just got shut down. Uh, thank God it was, uh, there were I think four lawsuits against it or a certain number of lawsuits. They just got shut down. But yes, she put on her Facebook, on her Instagram, no Zionists allowed. They were openly, I love Gaza, Palestinian flags hanging, we support BDS, F Israel, F the police, all these terrible signs on her window. This is how she ran her business and she said no Zionists allowed. And when she said no Zionists allowed, this is when it crossed the line into this is discrimination now because now you're saying basically Jews aren't allowed and she says no 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 there's a difference between Jews and Zionists which just shows her ignorance and and how deep her hatred is because obviously uh, we are the same thing we are called the children of Zion in the Torah that is is a basic tenant a foundation of Judaism is uh, Zion um anyway so I went there uh, with a friend actually just to make a video outside the store but uh, the store was closed that day but she was there inside hiding and she she came out and started confronting us. Of course, it looked like we were confronting her because she started recording after we were there. But uh, I actually didn't even know she was in the store. So she came out and started confronting us. And I said, I have a few questions about, you know, your policies excluding Zionists from your store. And she just went off yelling. Why are you slaughtering Palestinian children? You are murdering babies. You are land thieves. You know, all the usual spark words, all the usual nonsense that that anti-Semites spew. But we are very happy that the restaurant has been closed down. There's no room for hate-filled businesses like that. Unfortunately, it's a reality, though. This is a reality. Yeah. On what basis was she closed down? Was it uh, from, from the city or just people stopped uh, soliciting her, patronizing her? Or was there something that she, some laws that she violated that uh, forced her to shut down? I actually don't know. It might have been the result of one of the lawsuits she was involved in, but I'm not sure, actually. I know that she was uh, in a lot of lawsuits, and it is open discrimination to say no Zionists allowed. So I, I hope that is the reason that she was closed down, but I'm not sure. Either way, she's gone, and, and we've got that, that scum off the street. Great, great. Lauren, how can people – I know, listen, I know that people are so interested in getting involved with your organization. I, I 
know my listening audience and we we definitely we definitely have I'm, I'm already getting texts from people how to get in touch with you so can you tell us how people can reach reach you and enlist in your worthwhile work Absolutely. That's great. First of all, we're always looking for more members for Herut, growing the organization. Um, you can reach me, Lauren Isaacs, directly on Facebook. I try to get to all my messages every couple of days. Uh, you can also email me. I know uh, Alan has my email, uh, so he can uh, give that to anyone who needs it. You can also reach me through the Herut Canada website www.herootcanada.ca and uh, also Zionist Lauren on Instagram. I really try keep in contact. I try make myself available and answer any questions anyone has. Always here to say hi as well. That's wonderful. Anyway, we're coming to the end of our show. Um, thank you, Lauren, for joining us. This was unbelievable. And you are the future. You are the future of our, of our generation. Yeah. And Thank future you so generations. Much. It, it, and you are building the world. You are building the world. <laughs> Continue what you're doing. And uh, we wish you the best of luck. So thank you again. And uh, thank you to our listening audience for tuning in to the Definitive Wrap. Bye, Lauren. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.